You're listening to Fair Game with your host, Robert Smith. Well, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Fair Game podcast. It's great to have you join us today. I'm your host, Robert Smith, and this is Fair Game number 308. Today's guest oversees the largest carnival operation in America, producing 124 shows annually. He joins us today from Calgary, Alberta, Canada, from North American Midway. This is Scooter Corrick. Scooter, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for inviting me. Happy to be here. I'm really glad you could take the time to be with us today. North American, you guys are a big operation. How long have you all been in business? Uh, this is our 17th year. You know, we uh, we started out in 2005 with three units, and uh, now we've expanded to five units. And in fact, we're opening five locations across North America today. Now, where are you opening today? You got five five fairs opening? We have, we have five events opening today. Uh, right. I have a hard time keeping track of where they are. <laughs> <laughs> now, I can everywhere. tell you one of them is in Kansas City. Okay. Okay. Kansas City going on. They're going to have some good barbecue down there, I'm hoping. So uh, you guys have been in business a long time. You're doing great work across the industry. Um, 17 years, I think you were saying, in, in five units. How do you scale that quickly? to go to 124 shows in just 17 years. It seems like that's an incredible jump. Well, to begin with, you know, in 2005, we uh, started with uh, three units and it was uh, developed by a guy by the name of Fred Rosen, who was uh, the developer of Ticketmaster. And he had this great scheme, you know, to put together five or big carnival companies, a big carnival operation together and kind of change the face of the outdoor amusement business, you know, maybe even garner some big sponsorship opportunities because we reach so many people. Um, you know, that concept kind of took off and then we, uh, joined with mid America shows in 2007, 2008. So that took us up to five units, you know, and the way that we operate our show is we, uh, have five separate unit managers that, you know, kind of control their own operations, you know, by booking them, making sure that they got a full yeah. route, getting their staff together. But the one good thing is that all of our, um, units, kind of conform well in fact they do conform to you know that high standard of north american midway theorem or formula that we put together you know really good customer service great staff and uh you know really safe rides and a great operation making it really a family event so sure. you know it's, it's kind of a company philosophy that translates down into five units Wow, that's fantastic. Uh, you know, it's got to be an enormous number of employees throughout all five of those units. Do you have an idea of how many employees actually travel with your shows across the country? Yeah, I, I think our employment is between eight and 9,000 uh, throughout an entire season. That, that includes uh, local uh, employees okay. and plus also traveling staff too. With the international unit, the one that comes to the Calgary Stampede, um, we employ very, very close to 5,000 people. We have uh, 450 people to travel with our show. And then we'll hire up to six, 700 in each, some of the locations, bigger locations that we go to, which gets our workforce up to 12, 1,300 people. Wow, that's a lot. Now, how many, um, how many shows do you typically do up there in Canada? So we do nine. Uh, our show now consists of nine shows. Uh, the international unit is uh, nine shows in the United States and nine shows in Canada. That's fantastic. How did you get involved with the carnival? I was just a young guy that got out of high school. And I went down and got a job at the Calgary Stampede and I uh, come to work the next day. I'm not working for the Stampede. I'm actually working for the carnival. And after the Stampede was over, they asked me to come up to Edmonton. So I did. And then they asked me to join them along to uh, the Canadian National Exhibition in Toronto, 
where I was planning to go to school, which I did. And uh, during Toronto, they asked me if I want to go down south. We were going to go to Puerto Rico. We were the very first carnival with Conklin shows, actually, to go to Puerto Rico. And it was a phenomenal experience. It was, uh, we, we had built a fence around our lot and we opened maybe on noon on a, two, or on a Saturday. And by uh, two o'clock in the afternoon, the fence wasn't down, it was gone. We never saw the fence again. There were so many people. It, <laughs> they it just took a, the fence? They just took the fence away. It was, <laughs> it was wild. So no I more fence, after, just come on. <laughs> I think we closed on maybe Boxing Day the day after Christmas. And I can remember flying home in the airplane and thinking to myself, you know, this is pretty good. I could hang around these people for a little while. This is a kind of a neat way to, you know, I get to travel. I'm earning some money and it was a great fun atmosphere. So 43 years later, here I am. 43 years in the business. Yeah. It sounds like this is something that has uh, really become your life's work. I, I guess I found my thing. That's good. You know, there's a lot of people that spend their whole lives trying to figure out what their thing is. And, and the fact that you found it 43 years ago and, and have done such a great job with it, um, you know, I think is a, a testament to who you are and your dedication and uh, to the industry. But boy, was it rough to handle last year. Last was... year was probably something I think you've probably in that 43 years never imagined could happen. Yeah, you know, we kind of got early indications of it. I kind of got early indications of it maybe in January and I kind of, I kind of thought that we better pay attention to this thing, but I, I never dreamed it was going to turn out to be this, you know, yeah. 16 months later, here we are. And we spent all last year, you know, we, we usually play 124 dates. North American Midway got open at five of them. That was wow. it, you know, and that's not who we are. You know, we're kind of fish out. We were kind of fish out of water for an entire year, and yeah. you know that that that's that's got some business and some mental challenges with it too. You know, looking back at 2020, um, we were talking in the pre-show. Usually, I ask people what they were thinking when they heard Houston canceled, because that that was March 11th, and being as big as they are, I mean, they're like between them and Dallas are the biggest shows in the country. For them to cancel was a big thing, but. A lot of people forget that a number of fairs down in Florida, Sarasota, Indian River Firefighters Fair, and Miami were literally minutes from opening. Like, I think Miami, you were there. Miami yeah. was like 20 minutes from being opening. I think you said it was for like a school field trip day or something that morning, and it got shut down. Tell us about it. Well, you know, the night before we, we were pretty optimistic and, you know, the people from the fair were pretty optimistic that we were going to get going. And of course I, everybody was concerned about Houston shutting down and, you know, maybe we were thinking at that point that maybe they were just being cautious and that, you know, that the coronavirus really hadn't, you know, snuck its head into the doors of Florida in any, any big way then. And um, I woke up the next morning about, I don't know, 7.30. I came into the fairgrounds, got there about 8. I ran into one of the board of directors at uh, 20 to 9 o'clock, and he told me, well, we're going to call it off. And just the look on people's faces were, it was devastating. I, I, I don't think there's words that I can, can come up with that, you know, really captures the emotions that happened that morning. morning. You know, there's guys who I've known they're in the business for 30, 40, 50 years were crying. You know, it was just, wow. it was... Uh, and then just the silence and the deadness of the midway was pretty, pretty weird when it's supposed to be filled up with people. And at that point, you know, I, you know, that morning it kind of sunk in that, you know, this maybe was going to have some impact on us. You know, I thought that maybe that this could really trail over into the summer. 
which it turned out to be, but I never dreamed that it was going to be 16 months into it that was going to affect our business and, you know, an, an industry overall. Yeah, we're now uh, just about 16 months into 15 days to flatten the curve. Yeah. And, uh, it's it's nice to think, see things starting to open. Um, but obviously, back then, Miami's your first cancellation. You know, you guys are sitting there numb. I mean, the you're... you're your generators are on you've like at that point you've you've bought the fuel for your generators you've paid to get the rides everything set up you've i mean you're there but you're not making any revenue because now you're not you're not selling tickets and the fair's not happening when a show like yours has to cancel of that size there's a ton of moving parts to your operation how do you logistically handle that when a show cancels well, we're, we're pretty good at moving and we're pretty good at uh, getting things organized. That's what we do all of our life. And so, you know, we, we'd never faced this battle plan before, but I'm going to say within, I'm going to say within two days, we were kind of organized of what we were going to do. And we started tearing down and moving our stuff back up to our winter quarters in Tampa. And uh, we took all of our, a lot of our staff back up there in anticipation of, of, hopefully getting something going again and waiting this thing out a little while to see what the climate and the atmosphere was as it turned out it wasn't good so you know a lot of our staff had uh had to depart and we parked a lot of our uh, equipment for the summertime and we just continued to focus on getting open where we could so we got it open in five places last year and uh and it was pretty good well, you know it was, we we made the best out of a bad situation that's for sure we forged on we're forger honors yeah, I think we, most all of us in the industry kind of have to be with what we faced. Um, you know, I'm curious with those ride systems, um, is there an impact on the rides themselves physically when they're just sitting parked on a lot and not being used? Well, you know, I, I, I'm going to say that we have the most talented people in, in with regards to maintenance for our rides. And, you know, I, I have full faith in those people, you know, and so we kind of opened up our winter quarters again this year in the uh, early in the year. And we started going through our equipment that we we're going to deploy into our units this year. You know, we gave them the thorough once over. And, you know, did, did I find did I hear any stories of things that that were, you know, that were bad about the equipment sitting there for the entire year? No, I didn't. And, you know, we get, gave everything the once over and safety is our number one goal is paramount to everything that we do. So. We just do what we do and we got open again. So when you say you gave it the once over, is this, I mean, do you set out there on your lot? Do you have space where you set a ride up and you run it through the, you know, oil it, grease it, whatever you got to do, run it and make sure everything's in place. I think that happened with a lot of our equipment. Yeah. And then, you know, also there'd be pre-inspection for the stuff when we went into some of our, some of our dates, we went in a little bit early, got it set up, make sure that everything was running fine before we're going to go. Well, of course, we're not going to open something that we don't think that is safe. Sure. Yeah, sure. There, I mean, and you know, being in the industry for as long as I have, there's plenty of times that I've seen, uh, you know, the zipper closed down or or uh, something shut down, and they need to go in and you know, I don't know, there's a, a sensor that's faulty or they need to, you know, regrease something or you know, I, I think most of the carnival operators that I have experience with, um, that safety is the absolute number one priority, and they're going to take ride systems offline. They'd rather take the entire carnival offline and make sure it's it's good to go before they'd put anybody on a ride that's unsafe. Well, that that's our philosophy. You just hit it right on the head. If it's not safe, we're, we're not going to open it, and that could be the whole carnival. And it's exactly the way that it goes. Yeah, it has to be. I mean, um, you know, you think back about that 
that horrible accident that happened at the Ohio State Fair. And I don't think any of us ever want to see anything like that happen again. No, definitely not. So you said you were able to run five shows last year. Do you remember where those were? Yeah, we were in Greenwood, uh, Indiana, Marion County, Indiana. We uh, played Mobile, Alabama, and we played the Mississippi State Fair, which I attended, and the Greater Gulf State Fair in Mobile, Alabama, which I attended. Yeah, I remember when uh, I was, I was, I had Josh on the show from Mobile, and uh, you, you know, he and I are friends, and he told me at one point, he said, "Man, you got to get Scooter on the show. He's like he's <laughs> full of stories. He's he's like an encyclopedia of the carnival industry. Like you got to get him on the show." Um, so. Talk, if you will, for a minute. Um, when you get a cancellation like this, not only does it impact your organization, but it impacts those communities that you serve. What kind of impact does it have on the communities that you're set up in? Well, you know, those fairs, I, I'm going to say that, you know, larger fairs probably had some sort of war chest set aside that they could you know, tap into that they could survive a pandemic like this. Right. And then smaller fairs, I would say small fairs that we attend, you know, a lot of those are ran by volunteer groups, you know, or social community groups like Lions Clubs or whatever. Right. And so, you know, they don't have a lot of operating expenses that are ongoing. So they were able to survive. What I really feel bad for is those mid-sized fairs, you know, that maybe didn't have that big war chest of money, and, you know, relying on year-to-year revenues to keep on going. You know, that's really, that's really tough on those guys, those mid-sized fairs. And, you know, I think we're probably going to lose some, we're probably going to lose some of those mid-sized fairs as we go along, which is devastating to our industry. One is too many as far as I'm concerned. I agree. And, uh, but I've, I'm seeing now a groundswell of, you know, community support for those mid-sized fairs, you know, that are, you know, they're coming together with fundraisers to help those fairs garner some new revenues that they can uh, get going in future years. So I guess time's going to tell. Um, you know, I think the festivals, uh, they're also had a hard time because they're based on year to year revenue. And I think that the festival industry is really going to be in trouble. And, you know, we might lose some festival. I think more than anything, we're probably going to lose some festivals as, as time goes along. That could be our biggest hit impact, or at least that's a sense that I'm getting out of all of this. Sure. Sure. You know, and I, I think about you guys, um, you know, we always think of carnival operators in the in the realm of state and county fairs, but certainly you guys set up at small festivals, um, especially if it's a, you know, if it's a five day setup or a seven day setup somewhere that fills your route that gets you from, you know, one state fair, you know, 500 miles down the road to the next state fair that that five days at a festival can really help cover your expenses throughout the year. Um, out of all your shows, how many do you think, or do you have an idea what the spread is between the, the fairs and festivals? Oh, you're catching me off guard, but I got, uh, <laughs> I'll say that, um, uh, I'll say that a big part of our business are those midsize fairs and those midsize festivals, yeah. you know, they've been going on for a long time. So it's, uh, so I, I feel bad for those guys and I hope that they're going to be able to pull through this because a lot of them also, you know, canceled for the second year in a row. And yeah, that, 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 that might be the that might be the death axe right there. That I tell you what, a lot of the fair managers that we spoke with on the show, they painted a real rosy picture on the show, and I understand. But then afterwards, when we were talking, a lot of them said, "Listen, we can lose twenty one, but or twenty, but if we lose twenty one, it's over. Yeah, we we'll out of business." And yeah, that's that's real. I'm watching. I know which fairs those were that talked to me, and we're we're going to be watching this year to see how things go, but. 
I think you hit the nail on the head when you said, you know, the, the smaller county fairs that are maybe run by the Lions Club or a volunteer board, or maybe they only pay a fair manager um, that have fairly low overhead. Early on, I, I was really worried for them, but then I found out pretty quickly that they were probably the safest of everybody. You know, when you look at what what was going on out in Del Mar and, and God bless them, they're looking to have a fair here and, and give it a shot. Um, you know, they're San Diego biggest County fair in, in the nation and they are, we're in real trouble there for a minute. Um, I don't know how they're going to pull this fair off. I, I, I know they've got a great crew out there working their tails off to try and make it happen. Um, so we wish them the best is God, if, if Del Mar of all the fairs is the one that goes, man, what does that say for the rest of us? Absolutely. Well, it's, um, you know, that, I, I think that this pandemic in some ways have, has really taught fairs that uh, that you maybe have to reinvent yourself a little bit. And I've been saying to some of our fairs, you know, even if you can't get going in your traditional fair, what's wrong with, you know, maybe a carnival and some independent operators and a little bit of entertainment and get going again? At least you can put some money in your bank, get going again, build up, build up a little bit of stockpile of money yeah. and get going again. Yeah, so, you know, as I, long I, as they're not losing, because I know that a lot of them, and, and you know this, handling the logistics side of your business, there's a break-even point. And I know a lot of them were, were at least towards the end of 2020. I mean, we had one fair that canceled, um, canceled our Play with Giants attraction that said, you know, we can open, well, you know, the, the state will let us, but if we do, we're looking at like 50% attendance, we're going to lose, and I forget what the number was, you know, a half a million dollars or a million dollars and we just can't do that. And so right. at some point you fold and you got to walk away from the table, but you know, there's a real balancing act the fairs are going through as they reopen on, if we have to modify, if it's not a full fair, what's it going to look like and how do we deliver that value to our, our fair guests without damaging our brand? The consistent thing we've talked about over and over on the show, how do you produce your event without damaging your brand if it's not the full event? And that's a right. question everybody's got to answer individually. Well, I, I'm going to give some advice to fairs out there. You know, I, I, I played um, the Mississippi State Fair and the Greater Gulf State Fair. And, and those guys didn't, they put together their fair presentation, but it wasn't the regular fair presentation. They were down in programming, of course. Indoor commercial exhibits were different. You know, I, I'm going to say in, in Mississippi and, and uh, Greater Gulf State Fair and Mobile's example, that, you know, maybe they were, you know, maybe lacking 30, 40% of their regular programming that they did. The one thing I found is, is that the customer is very forgiving and they were just so happy that we put on an event that they could go to, that they yep. could come down to, like, you know, they were super forgiving of yes. the whole thing and they just wanted to come out and have some fun. So, yeah. you know, that's, that's the, if you take it down to the peanut stand, that's kind of the bottom line that if you can kind of get open and if you just have some programming and a carnival and maybe some entertainment, I, I think you can get away with it. Yeah. Well, and I think the, the real catch on all of that is just be transparent with your audience. Don't try to pretend this is going to be the real deal. Like come straight out and be like, listen, this is not going to look the way you're used to. And it's frankly not the way we want it to look, but by God, we know that coming together as a community, having fun on the Ferris wheel, making some memories, you know, sharing a funnel cake, you know, watching the hypnotist or the magician or listening to a band that that's part of our, our summer. That's part of our event. And we want to do our best to give that to you guys. I think if you just give it to the, your audience straight on what to expect and you deliver or even over deliver, then mm -hmm. you're going to win. Their Absolutely. affairs are going to win left and right on that. I, I agree with you 100%.
So, you know, within our industry, um, you know, we hear a lot throughout the year on TV, um, you know, in the news about the H2B visa program. I know that is a program that has a tremendous impact on our Conerval and our ride operators. Um, I'd like your take on it. How important is that program to organizations like yours? Well, part, part of our formula with North American Midway is providing really ex- exceptional customer service. And to do that, you have to have some really quality employees to be able to do that. And we found a niche within, you know, we found a niche in the world of where we recruit from of various places. And so I, I'm going to say that it's pretty important to us because we're, we're having a hard time retaining uh, Canadians and Americans to come out and do this type of work, travel for nine months a year. So, you know, it's kind of key to what we do is to be able to provide that customer service mandate that we have and that you have to have quality employees to be able to do that. For sure. Looking forward, 2021, we're now, we're recording this on June 2nd of 21. Uh, how does your, the rest of your 21 season look? Well, I'm going to, in one week, or in one month and three days today, we are going to open at the Calgary Exhibition in Stampede, which is great. You know, those guys, they called me in February and they said, well, we're going to have a stampede this year, right in the middle of a super spike. And the, and also the, uh, the future did not look good. Everybody was uh, from health agencies across North America. were saying doom and gloom for the upcoming years, but you know, they're trailblazers over there at the Calgary stampede. Yeah. And he said that he was going to do it. And I said, well, if you guys are going to do it, the Danny Houston and North American Midway say, we're going to come. So that was the trigger point. And they started planning, you know, only four weeks ago, we were, you know, we were the Alberta was the worst place per capita for COVID cases. And that's only a month ago, but we understand how the spike goes. Cause we've seen it in other places throughout the world, such as in Britain, you know, in Britain, you know, seven weeks ago, they were, they were under severe lockdown. Now Britain is pretty much wide open. So we yeah. kind of saw how this trend was going to go and the Calgary Stampede identified that and they uh, got their doors open. So we're going to go and we're going to play, uh, we're going to play five other fairs in Canada this summer too. And I'm going to say the Stampede was, you know, the hinge point in all of this was the trigger signal for those other fairs saying, well, if we can do it, Yep. Why can't you guys get your doors open? So, you know, once again, the stampede has been trendsetters in this industry and the yeah. trailblazers to get this industry rolling again. Yeah. So it sounds like Calgary is to uh, all those fairs and events up in Canada, what a bunch of the Florida fairs have been for the United States this year. Cause everybody I've spoken to have been like, well, you know, when I say, what are you doing to prepare? They're like, well, we're waiting to see what happens in Florida. <laughs> we want to know what's going on at, at Clay County and at the state fair and, and West Palm Beach. And and then we're going to see what happens. But I think, you know, having been down at Tasha's Fair at Clay County and Green Coast Springs, they proved and they listen. There was I did two fairs down there this spring. I was helping another act out and, and I did Okeechobee down in the south of Florida and I did Clay County up north. Okeechobee probably on any given day 40 to 60 percent of people had masks on uh up in the north in clay county it was like what masks you know right. and i think they traced all of like 30 cases out of 148,000 people back to the clay county fair so i think we've proven our industry over and over that we can open we can do it safely we can mitigate risk and keep people in business and keep the economy moving forward. And so I'm glad to hear that Calgary is, is able to move forward. Um, especially given that as if he was either yesterday or maybe this morning, I read that K days is now for Edmonton is now canceled for this year. 
Yeah. Well, I think that the people in K-Days, you know, they've, uh, they've had some challenges with getting open. And uh, I, I think that they're just pooling their resources and putting on even a bigger and better show in 2022. And yeah. I think that's really just the... Well, you get to the goes. point where it's kind of like what Jerry Hammer said at the, uh, you know, Minnesota State Fair last year. It feels like K-Days maybe could have gone if the spike drops a little more in Edmonton, but they're just running out of runway. To be That's able to the, get an event like that, that magnitude off the ground. You just, I mean, you don't have time to do it. You don't have the resources to do it at this point. That's exactly, I think their, pro- their problem is, is that, you know, they, they just, they're just too late in the game to get this thing going. Yeah. I think if they were, uh, you know, a late, you know, even a late August or September event, they're probably going this year, but with their dates, they're, they're kind of, they're out of time. I don't, I don't, it, it blows my mind how much work goes into, producing these events and i'm the guy that shows up and and i set up a fortune machine you know and i do one little act for three times a day for 30 minutes i'm this microscopic little piece of the puzzle um i can't imagine being the people that have to put the entire puzzle together i mean that's a lot of work they do and as i said you know only five weeks ago in alberta we were looking really bad we were the worst place in all of north america per capita for covid cases so you know there wasn't a lot of uh there wasn't a lot of hope in all of this. And I think that K-Days was just cautious that they didn't want to get themselves into a position like Miami that you get close to getting open and all of a sudden somehow the event doesn't yeah. able to go off. Yeah, I mean, if you consider all the marketing dollars that Miami spent and all the work and, and what they had, you can't unspend that money. Right. You know, better. And that's when I, you know, like the fair that canceled me late last year and said, you know, hey, we could go, but we're going to get smoked based on our modeling numbers. At some point, you just got to fold. You know, Absolutely. you got to walk away from the table and live to live to have a fair another day. Um, so as you are opening throughout the year, what is North Americans approach from, you know, for mitigation of COVID and making sure, you know, things are clean and, and you're keeping people safe? Well, we, we started last year in, uh, in Mississippi with a pandemic plan. And uh, I think that we had a pretty good plan. You know, we used a lot of uh, resources throughout our community and through health resources, too. And we kind of revised that plan as uh, we went on. And when we got to Mobile, Alabama, our plan was really in shape. And so, you know, it's really a, it's kind of a 12, 13, really to 12 or 13 point, really aggressive type plan. And everywhere that we've been using it now, you know, health boards and local communities have been applauding us for the steps that we've taken. North American Midway has always been dedicated to safety with rides. So we just took this one step further of, safety with employees and uh, our customers with uh, COVID protocols. Right. And working with the Calgary Stampede, you know, we kind of revised that plan a little bit, but I think we have an exceptional plan going into the Stampede, both working in conjunction with the Stampede of what they're going to do and what we're going to do in our midway. Uh, we're, we're set for success. Sounds like it. You know, Scooter, you've been doing this a long time. What is your favorite part about what you do? Hmm. Huh. Well, you know, I spend very little time in Calgary, so I, I don't have very many friends here because I spend so little time. So I have a lot of friends out there with the fairs that I tend to and uh, that I attend. And I really love seeing those people and the dedication and the work that they put into. And then on opening day, when it all comes together and we're all out there doing exactly what we're meant to do, that, that really puts a smile on my face. Yeah, I I can appreciate that. I mean, I have the same struggle every year on my birthday, which is now coming up uh, in a week on, on June the 9th. My wife's always like, do you want to have a party? And I'm like, yeah. And she's like, who do you want to invite? And I'm like, 
and I'm looking at my my friends and I'm like, well, they're out at a fair, they're out at a fair. I'm like, I know like two people in Albuquerque. That's it. <laughs> like That's my fa- my friends, the people that I really would want to celebrate with um, the most are, um, you know, beyond my my old high school friends. It's always that I always have a blast when I get to catch up with them. The people that I'm really closest with are all out working. They're based all over the country. They're in Florida. They're in Tennessee. They're in California. That I'm like, yeah. Well, you know, know North American Midway, we, we work on a really collaborative approach, which might be a little bit different than other midways. You know, it, it's not as though that we come into a fairgrounds, we just rent space, come in there, set up our stuff and do our job. It's not the way that it works with us. We really work hand in hand to make this an entire package you know, with advanced sale pack programs and working into the fairs and coordinating with the fairs and, you know, to make it a great success. And we, we, we've got a lot of formulas for success that we can share with fairs. And I like it when we work together and we put together this amazing package and open our doors. Yeah. It's in your time as an operator, I can only imagine some of the memories that you've made. Is there a particular memory from your 43 years that stands out as like, that was a great moment. Yeah. Well, I I guess maybe I probably have two, one Puerto Rico when we first opened there and that was a game changer for me. You know, I'll I'll tell you a story that uh, after the very first week that we had uh, ran out of stuffed animals because we never believed that we were going to see this many people. (laughs) Oops. Our our games were on the verge of, uh, our games were on the verge of uh, closing their doors and Jim Conklin, he went and rented a 747 jumbo jet and filled it with stuffed animals in Toronto, Ontario, and flew it to San Juan, Puerto Rico, and then went and filled up a boat in Montreal <laughs> and sent it to San Juan, Puerto Rico, so we could keep our games going. So apparently money's not an issue there. You just well, rented we, a 747. We had to do it, man. That's what we did. <laughs> wow. I will it, never forget this story. You know, was, hey, Scooter and his homies just, you know, hey, there's a 747. Let's rent it and go get some stuffed animals. That's yeah. amazing. And then I guess my second best, my, my, maybe my second best memory, there's lots of them, but my second best one was I participated in the uh, 2012 Calgary Stampede, which was their 100th anniversary. And okay. we drew and we drew a million four in 10 days. So the people. And I can days. remember at the conclusion of that, we were just, it was this, great sense of relief, but also this great sense of uh, accomplishment of what we had done and what we built at the Calgary Stampede for all those years that we had attended there. So a that, mil- that, that a million four in 10 days. Yeah. That's was- wild. You know, I think about, cause you know, just for reference, you know, I think about the OC fair that does, I think they're at about 1.4. I think they're somewhere mm-hmm. right in there, but they do that over 23 days. Right. I can't imagine drawing that in 10. That's insane. It, it was great. It was really, that, that was a <laughs> highlight of my career was, was the closing moment when the stampede was finally over and they announced their final attendance number. That was a, uh, it was a thrill. That's wild. That's wild. In 10 days. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, Scooter, listen, we're just about out of time. I'm really glad I could get you on the show today and, and chat with you before we go. Everyone who comes on my show, goes through a little series of speed round questions. Sure. So I'm going to ask you six quick questions and you give me your best answer for each. Are you ready? I am ready. Question number one. When you travel, name one item you must have with you. My camera. Favorite ride on your midway. Oh, the wave swinger. If a movie was made about your life, which actor would play you? 
Hmm. No good answer. <laughs> no good answer. Okay. Last book you read. Last book I read was, oh, it was this damn technical journal. It was horrible. <laughs> it's a technical journal. It was, it was a ne networking and technical journal. You read journal. some really riveting stuff, Scooter. I'm oh telling you. Oh, my God. That's the last book I read. All right. A, a, an awful technical journal. Uh, favorite concert you've ever been to? Hmm. That's a good question. I saw you two at the uh, Europa tour. Not, yeah, no, at the uh, Zoo TV tour in Toronto in uh, 1989, I think. And before 83,000 people at Exhibition Place during the Canadian National Exhibition. That was pretty exciting. Yeah, but I'm cool. going to go with my number one is I'm a huge music fan. Like, uh, music makes it my life. That's probably my second favorite love. And I, there's a guy out of uh, there's a guy out of Britain called Jamie Cullum, and he's okay. kind of a blues type, kind of jazzy type guy. And I saw him at the uh, Olympia in Paris, and that night was magical. So I'm going to wow. pick that. It was J Jamie Cullum at the Olympia in Paris. Wow, that says something. Good. When you're up against you two is in the top two shows, and and Jamie Cullum takes the top spot. That's cool. Well, it's just a small venue, you know, maybe holds three thousand people, and the place was on fire. That's amazing. Yeah. Last question. If you could be a guest star on any television show, past or present, which show would you want to be on? Huh, I don't watch TV. No, oh, come on. You got you to give me an answer. You got to give me something. Past or present. Oh, I don't know. Um, I'm trying to think. Um, that's a really hard question because I don't watch TV. Do you really not watch TV all that much? I never watch. I listen to music. I told you it was my love. That's true. I'll give you that. I, you know, I hardly ever watch television. And then the pandemic hit, and I got stuck watching whatever was on Netflix, binge watching. So I mean, we we all got locked up. Like, well, what else were we gonna do here in New Mexico besides binge watch Netflix? So okay, I'd like to be on WKRP. Okay, I'll be the DJ after Johnny Fever. How does that sound? There you go. We'll accept that answer. <laughs> Scooter, if folks want to learn more about North American Midway, where can they do that? That's at www.namidway.com. Namidway.com. That's or, fantastic. Or on Facebook at North American Midway. Awesome. Scooter Corrick, North American Midway. My friend, I wish you and your organization the very best this year. I cannot wait to see your Ferris wheel get lit up at Calgary Stampede. Really appreciate your time. Thanks for being on the show. Peace, brother. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to the Fair Game Podcast. Fair Game is a production of Robert Smith Presents. For more information, please visit robertsmithpresents.com.